From the mess hall of the Joliet Correctional Facility, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men on a mission from God, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, Blues Brothers reference. Corey, who sent it in? That was brought to you by Super Mario Mendez. No sign of Luigi. Ooh, from a Blues Brother reference to a Mario Brothers reference. We love the Blues Brothers. All right, we're going to be recycling our openings now, folks, because uh, we're out of openings. So we're going to be uh, doing this for a few weeks while we aggregate the remainder of our uh, new openings. you still got a few weeks to get them in. So if you got any new openings to suggest to us, by all means, send them in. Gods at digigods.com. Send us Vox boxes, send us questions, send us your new show openings. We want our listeners to provide new show openings because you are more creative than we are. That is true. Um, we like to benefit from your free labor. Absolutely. Mark, you, uh, you're you supposed to give me some water. Where's my water? There's my water. Thank you. It was hiding. Very good. Um, yes, Wade. Not much to talk about uh, other than the fact that uh, there are all kinds of interesting corporate things going on in the world of movies lately. Really? Uh, well, you know, company moves and things. I mean, like, if, for example, you know, you, you heard this, Bob Iger's job over at Disney might be in jeopardy. And would that upset you? No. Not at all. <laughs> would that make you happy? It kind of would. No, no offense to Mr. Iger, who, you know, I thought did a fine job at over at ABC, but I, I just think Disney has been catastrophic uh, as, a, as a film company. I know as a, as a corporate entity, he's done a good job maximizing profits and brands and all that kind of job stuff, but I think from the movie end, what I look at, I just, I'm not happy with what I see, John Carter. Well, because there's... there's I'm not happy with what I see, Jack the Giant Slayer. Because it's, it's mutually exclusive to say... Great movies and maximize profits. Yes. The two of those don't go no. well together. No. Sometimes they work. Usually they don't. Well. Especially when you're like, you know, if, if you look at the Disney animated films, they've almost completely punted that stuff. I mean, it's all yeah. Pixar now. Yeah, it is. And even though, you know, you and I were surprisingly pleased by Tangled. Yeah. You know, and some of the other True. Disney stuff, there are really no other classics out there. No. Mm-mm. And, you know, Oz Great and Powerful... I mean, uh, I don't know that that's that's it's not good enough to resurrect no. the Wizard of Oz thing. No, it's a bad it's a bad sign right now with movies like like Jack. The, what is it? Jack the Giant Slayer, Jack the Giant Killer. Oz, well, it was but, Jack the Giant Killer, but focus group said we don't want Killer. We want Slayer. To, we want until Killer is too on the nose. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, how about Slayer? Which by the way means the same thing, but it's just not Killer. Yeah, but Slayer was a cool metal band from the eighties. They were Same. awesome. Okay. Uh, can you name even one Slayer song? No, you can't. Can no, you? not at all. I, I, but I knew a lot of people wore Slayer T-shirts. Yeah, which I awesome. guess counts for something. Raining blood. Yeah. Seasons in the abyss. Some. Uh, some. Ama- awesome. Look, we have we have some amazing world class filmmakers to talk about today. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Steven Spielberg, who of course does factor in today. But I'm also talking about Fritz Lang. I'm talking about uh, Luis Buñuel. I'm talking about Kenji Mizuguchi. I, we this is this is good stuff today. We By gotta, the way, yes. Before we start, yes. Uh, this is uh, news is a couple weeks old, but we didn't talk about it last week. The uh, jury ju- the jury president, yeah. Oh, this yes. year's Cannes Film Festival yes. is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yes, which I thought is it's strange. It makes you wonder what, wh- okay, which Steven Spielberg, which movies will he back? Will he back the films that like are Steven Spielberg-esque or will he try to be all 
artsy and back the super, you know, obscure film? Like, which does he want to do the one that is really him, or does he want to do the one that he that he thinks he is? I I, I, I think Spielberg's sensibilities will prevail, and I think. I, I, it depends. I mean, we have yet to see what's in the competition. It's going to be very interesting. Um, you know, there, there are years where you can always guess what's going to win. You know, like you could have predicted that uh, Polanski, that a Polanski jury was going to give it to Barton Fink. That was like d- done. You know, you could you could tell. I, one of the years that I was there, it was a Depardieu jury. There was just no question. The Best Intentions, you know, by Billy August, the Ingmar Bergman scripted thing. No doubt about it. That's just totally Depardieu's sensibilities. Uh, the other Pulp Fiction one, it was a, it was an Eastwood jury, apparently very divided, you know. And, and when you think about it, you're like, of course, you know, Eastwood and Tarantino. But then there are other years where you just go, I didn't see that coming, you know. Uh, so it's uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, when we see the lineup, then I think we'll be able to kind of say, because that, that apparently is, and of course the rules for the jury are not as set in stone as everyone thinks, but one of the kind of things that I think is fairly firm at can is that you cannot win Palm d'Or without the, the 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 president voting for you. So the president has enormous power on that jury, but you you can, you know, leverage that in all kinds of other ways. Um, I mean like when Tarantino was a jury president, Fahrenheit nine eleven won. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And apparently no, and I was there that year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know Tarantino would Tarantino sign off on that? Well, yeah, because they, they I think everybody agreed to give the follow up to you know the runner up award to uh, Old Boy, which frankly should have won that year. But which is a much more Tarantino esque film? Much more Tarantino esque film. So a lot of people think, well, Tarantino was willing to settle for that in order to give everybody else Fahrenheit nine eleven. So the politics is is always very interesting. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know what kind of a president he's going to be. If he'll make make everybody meet every day or you know uh, once a week or you know two or three times, who knows? He, there's a, there's a lot of power to the to the jury position, the jury president position. And sometimes these guys are drunk with power, Wade. They are. They 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 sit on thrones with crowns. <laughs> You know, Mark, let's, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to roll uh, uh, off the top of the show through a bunch of uh, Asian titles, which I know always thrills you. It's, all, it's uh, right up there with the British television for you. But, you know, you've got to admit, we've got a Criterion release of Kenji Mizuguchi's Sancho the Bailiff. Well, that's Come good. on. This is on Blu-ray. This is absolutely outstanding. This is, we've been waiting for this for so, so long. Uh, Sancho the Bailiff. One of the uh, all-time great films of the Japanese New Wave. It is, you know, Mizuguchi. For people who think that uh, Kurosawa is synonymous with the great samurai film, I got news for you. Uh, Mizuguchi is the guy who made that happen. I mean, he predates Kurosawa, and frankly, I think he's better at it than Kurosawa. Kurosawa is is better with, with certain things. I think, think some of Kurosawa's most interesting films, frankly, are not the samurai films. I think it's the contemporary stuff. Uh, sometimes that, that oh, he's... Oh, Kurosawa? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like I love High and Low. And low. I love I see, that movie. see both of us, High and Low. We just said it. High and Low is great. You know, that's where I think you really, really see Kurosawa. But don't forget, High and Low is based on an American It's an Ed, Mc, Ed McBain novel, yeah. which is, Ed McBain is just pulp crap normally. I mean, I grew up loving Ed McBain novels, but, I mean, frankly, Ed McBain is just all... You know, there's a character in Ed McBain novels, uh, Meyer Meyer, you know, and they're they're just loaded with just rape scenes and strangulations and just dingy, dirty, disgusting. Yeah, let me write that down. Grungy stuff, you know, and uh, that's that's pretty great. Anyway, um, you know, this is this is really really fascinating. A, a bailiff in this case is not like a bailiff in the U.S. This is about a guy who is um, 
he's a governor to a lord, and he, uh, through an act of disobedience, is exiled, and it uh, it just rips his family to shreds. And it is uh, it is just brilliant. It is so well scripted. It is so beautifully directed. It is poetic. It is ripping. It is uh, really extraordinary and unbelievable extras here. the The restoration, the the digital Blu-ray restoration here, is fantastic. It is absolutely pristine. It's it, the, somehow the black. They do bet. They do black and white at Criterion better than anyone else does black and white. And for some reason, and I've said this for years, the Japanese black and white is always better than American black and white. And I don't know what it is. It must be the stock. I, I don't know who manufactured the stock, but whatever that that resolution presents when you're doing digital transfer work, it just looks better and better. It's just so beautiful. Uh, great audio commentary here from uh, Japanese literature scholar Jeffrey Angles, and a whole bunch of interviews with uh, people you know that I've never heard of, primarily Japanese figures uh, talking about the film and its importance, and uh, some really interesting stuff in the booklet part of this, including the uh, two versions of the story that the film is based on, um, which I, I didn't even realize that there was this interesting source material, and you learn a lot about that in the audio commentary as well. So uh, really terrific, just now, a great Blu-ray. Now, Wade, because you were boring me, I went to the Sancho the Bailiff page on Wikipedia. Yes. Are you ready? Ready. Hit this me. will blow you away. Blow me away. And you will go, oh, my God, I can't believe this never happened. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to read this right off Wikipedia. Yeah, do it. In 1990, producers Robert Michael Geisler. Yes. And John Roberto commissioned director Terrence Malick to write a stage play oh, based wow. on Sancho the Bailiff. No kidding. A private workshop of the play was undertaken Isn't in 1993 at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. It was directed by Andre Zwadja. Andre Vida. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a smaller scale workshop was mounted by the producers under Malick's own direction in Los Angeles in spring of 94. Hmm. Plans to produce the play on Broadway were postponed indefinitely. Can you imagine a Sancho the Bailiff show directed by Terrence Malick? Interesting. Put it out there. Okay. The end. Uh, another great film, a great film on Blu-ray, uh, which just got no traction uh, in theatrical release. It's so sad. that Wellgo has released Anne Hoy's A Simple Life. This is such a beautiful movie. And uh, I love Anne Hoy. She's one of the great directors in, uh, in the history of Hong Kong. She, she's one of the few over there who's really making, you know, like, art films and dramas and, you know, non-action, bone-crushing stuff. Great performance from Andy Lau. Um, uh, Dini Ip, also wonderful in this. And some terrific cameos from people. If you're a Hong Kong film fan, you'll love some of the cameos, uh, which are just just absolutely delightful. And this got a lot of, a lot of awards, and it deserved them. This is a, a family drama about caring for someone with a stroke, and you just, it, it's going to tear your heart out. It is a beautiful Blu-ray. It, highly, it's sort of like a more. Oh, it's, it, it, you know what? It's more sentimental than Amour. Amour is pretty grim. This is much more sentimental. It's wonderful. Anne Hoy is such a sweet, sweet director. She's wonderful. Sweet. Absolutely. Uh, Muay Thai Warrior. This is awesome. And forget about the plot. All you need to know is this is just like, just really just grungy, dirty, bone-crushing tournament, just ripping them, slam them, and just beat the crap out of them stuff. It is a Thai film from 2011, uh, directed by Naporin Wartan. I don't even, it's a, you know, another guy that I, they, they just come out of the woodwork over there in Thailand. Um, yes, it's got a whole kind of an anti-Japanese 
period thing from the 17th century, but who cares? It's it, all it is. It's really just about bone crushing, bone crushing, bone crushing. And then we also have uh, Dangerous Liaisons, the Chinese version starring Zhang Ziyi and uh, Zhang Donggun and Cecilia Chung. Um, the interesting thing about this is that it takes place in 1930s Shanghai. And, you know, this is, this is like one of those Aunt Jane Austen things. We're always trying to find new ways of uh, taking the Dangerous Liaison story and dropping it into different contexts. I thought this was actually very interesting to translate it into a, a Chinese 1930s backdrop. My question was, how are you going to do the duel at the end? Like, how are they going to somehow finagle that? And actually, they do in a really interesting way because there's a whole, you know, the, with the, CGI. The, well, the World War II backdrop is it gives them a chance to do a, to take a, few, a little bit of a dramatic license, and and it works. It absolutely works beautifully. Uh, real quickly, a few others. Another Criterion, uh, the Ballad of Narayama. As long as we are uh, on the subject of um, ballads. Yeah, ballads. I, don't know. I, I got no. I got no. I got no transition there. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is really really cool. Uh, Ballad of Narayama, another famous Japanese film from the New Wave period, 1958, um, directed by Kasuki Kinoshita, who is one of ne- didn't really have the same profile as everybody else at the time, but certainly did with this film, which is actually based on folk legend, and uh, it's done in kind of a kabuki style, and uh, it's just still really a beautiful beautiful film, absolutely brilliant. Great uh, restoration that they did in 2011 makes for a fantastic looking Blu-ray. Once again, just first rate uh, all the way. The you know this one's color. This is not black and white, um, and really really beautiful color photography. And um, what are you going to say? It's, it's just great. Not a lot of extras, but uh, it is. That's a first rate film. Absolutely first rate film. And uh, let's see. Few other things here. Uh, no, I'm gonna. We're gonna skip that. We're gonna skip that. I uh, gotta skip that. You know what? This is this is just too goofy to skip. Incredibly after. Uh, incredibly ever after. Mark, honestly, what do you think? I'm, you you didn't see this, but just look at that artwork. What do you think of that? Here, I'm gonna flip it to the back. It, lo- it looks like kick ass. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Maybe it is kick ass. It, well, it's not kick ass, but it's. Uh, it, Maybe it's, it's ass kick. It's it's kind of along the same. I don't know. It, it's it, if you liked Kick Ass, you'll probably like this. I love Kick Ass. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like a superhero kind of a spoofy thing, um, which is unusual for Asian films. I don't normally see that uh, coming out of Asian films, but that's exactly what this is. Think of it as Kick Ass with a, a dash of uh, The Incredibles is what it really is. And uh, you know, these aren't superheroes that you're going to know from American comic books or even Asian comic books. I think they just invented them for the movie, like Gazer Warrior and uh, Aroma Woman. I mean, come on, Aroma Woman? How do you not Done. love that? Make it happen. Thank. See, you got to love it, Aroma Woman. Anyway, uh, what's it like being a married superhero? We, well, we saw one angle of that in the uh, Incredibles, and uh, this is actually quite a bit of fun. This is from Funimation, appropriately, and uh, yeah, bravo! I, I think it's uh, an interesting, it's an interesting take. Uh, let's see, real quickly, Aichi Kudo's Eleven Samurai. A uh, pretty great 1967 samurai uh, epic um, is out from uh, the good people at Animago. I wish this were on Blu-ray. It isn't, but I, uh, it, is, it is just r- relentless samurai hacking and drama and uh, emoting, and uh, it's really fun. Uh, is it the same as 13 Assassins? Not quite, but it's in the same uh, category, same league, so uh, definitely worth checking out. I always love the, the warnings that they put on the back of the Animago titles. Um, warning contains violence and strategy 
Not great. Rated, rated PG for strategy. <laughs> Contains violence and strategy. All right, and on the Asian end, uh, 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 let's see. Hold on, hold on. Uh, 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 nope, that's it. We'll, we'll cover the rest of these another time. Really? Let's move on. Um, you know, wait, this film over here is funny. This, this film over here, the one uh, here, this one, Smashed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The thing with Smashed is that... Uh, yeah, you know, well, fine. Shoot that to the top of the pile. Well, I, I only say it because uh, it was the first time I was ever retweeted by the star of a movie. Really? Yes. That's interesting. I reviewed this for Box Office, and uh, my editor at the time, our editor at the time... Yeah? Uh sent me a link uh, from Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Twitter account saying, you know, logging, uh, linking to my review and saying, here's a great review. Here's uh, this guy knew exactly what we were after. Right. And uh, I thought it was cool, especially because now I'm one step closer to sleeping with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. (laughs) It's very cute. No, actually, you know what? Uh, Smash is terrific. It's a really good film. It's uh, it's about a, a young married couple and uh, the wife, played by Elizabeth Winstead, is an alcoholic. And what's great about the movie and kind of refreshing is the fact that uh, the alcoholic character here, played by Winstead, is not, uh, it's not melodramatic. There's no histrionics. It's just, a, it's just a story of a woman who is a teacher and she basically gets along with her life. It's not unbelievably over the top and yet she happens to be an alcoholic and it's how it slowly affects her career and her uh, marriage to her, her husband played by uh, the guy from uh, Aaron Paul, the guy from uh, some show I don't watch, yeah. Breaking Bad. Yeah. And that character could have been a, a, a little uh, better drawn, but... Uh, I like this film because it is everything that alcoholic dramas tend to uh, not be, and uh, it's great. I thought it was a trivial little film. Uh, I think that young audiences will like it because, again, it's about 20-somethings, and it's not over the top. A lot of handheld cameras, shooting on location, and uh, it's good stuff. Smashed with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Aaron Paul, uh, and Megan Mullally. Mullally. Yeah. M- Megan Galuli. It's with Megan Galuli, Wade, who's okay. one of my favorites. Fine. What? Yes. Uh, criteri- more Criterion goodness. I know. I'm a huge fan of Fritz Lang. Um, Fritz Lang, of course, uh, directed uh, Metropolis, and he directed some M. great M. M and some great film noirs. And also Ministry of Fear from 1944. This thing is just great. It's um, it's one of his best films. It's got a very it's got a very exciting story, and uh, it's you know it's about this innocent man who's kind of drawn into this spy story where he like kind of comes in possession into this he 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 comes upon this microfilm and it's based on a Graham Greene novel and I love Graham Greene we love, love Graham Fritz Green. Lang yeah. so or Fritz Lang you can say Wade mm-hmm. you'd probably say Lang because sure. you're all Mr. International me sure. I say Lang because I'm Fritz dumb, Lang because I'm a dumb American yeah. um, anyway Ray Milland plays the uh, plays the guy who comes into possession of this uh, microfilm and it's great it's very exciting it's really well shot and it's good stuff. It's 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 classic. I wouldn't be surprised if you know if if, if Hitchcock was not somehow uh, influenced by s- movies like this, if not this movie, because it's all about innocent men who are drawn into these unusual situations. They have, they have to get themselves out of it. Yeah. And that was a staple of Hitchcock. So, uh, but before Hitchcock, yeah, Fritz Lang's Ministry of Fear, 
Great film. Again, so well shot. Criterion knocks it out of the park. Not a lot of extras, at least compared to their other films. There is an interview with, uh, with a Fritz Lang scholar and a great new restoration. Otherwise, that's kind of it. But um, I love this film, Ministry of Fear. Great stuff. Mark, I'm going to freak you out right now. Talk, what? Talking about Criterion. Okay. The Blob, the original uh, uh, Irvin S. Yeaworth Jr. film, The Blob from 1958. Starring for uh, some reason. Was, was, was uh, released on Criterion a few years back uh, as a you know, Criterion DVD. It is now out on Criterion Blu-ray. And I don't think people think of The Blob, Criterion. What are you kidding me? Look, very significant film. Super low-budget film. Came out during the, uh, the height of the exploitation era in the late 1950s, 1958. And uh, made on a shoestring and totally successful and terrifying. Great drive-in movie. Really, uh, one of those pivotal genre films of the day. They did a great 4K digital uh, restoration on this and have given it the lustrous Blu ray treatment like you cannot imagine. Absolutely sensational. Now, here's the thing about the blob. You remember they remade the blob, right? Yes. Right? Okay. Do you remember when they remade the blob? That was like last week. I'm going I'm to make you feel staggeringly old. <laughs> this blob was made in 1958. Re- no, that's Steve McQueen, that's, the blob. Yes, correct. Okay. This was Steve McQueen, who was not quite Steve McQueen at the time. That pretty much put him on the map. But um, the remake of The Blob was from 1988, 30 years after, directed by Chuck Russell, who was kind of a big deal uh, action director in the 80s for a moment. You he, did Chuck a, Russell he did, did a Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, and well, he did The Mask and you know a few other things like that. He did The Mask, right? Well, yes. that, you, uh, Chuck Russell, I believe, did The Mask, yes. Yeah. And um, so do the math. That's 30 years from 1958 to 1988 between the blob and the remake of the blob remember at the time we're like boy they're remaking like that old movie it's been 25 years now since that remake in five years it will be as long since the remake of the blob as it was between the original blob and the remake you know here's the thing you hate it when I do that I, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> it, it, it it doesn't make it lock in it's like oh my god like you mean it's been it's the first one between the third one is more years and the second one between we, the ninth one what what does that mean no we will live in not too many more years, yes. to have seen as many years elapse between Star Wars and the present day as between the jazz mean? singer in 1927 and Star Wars in 1977. That's only 50 years. I don't know what that means. That's By only the 50 way, years. speaking of the jazz We're singer... We're not that far off. Wait, be quiet. We will have lived to see literally more than half of film history. We are old bastards. Speaking of... Um Anyway, let me finish off on the blob. Real quickly. Uh, by the way, I'm not. I'm. I'm telling okay. you this because you yeah. didn't know this. I actually went out and bought because I'm a nerd. Yeah. This amazing new three Blu-ray. I think it's like one Blu-ray and a couple DVDs. Uh, three disc set definitive of the Jazz Singer. Oh yeah, brand new. You know what? I'm still harassing. I'm still harassing Warner Brothers. I went out and bought it. So, well, it's great. All right. Well, don't don't talk about it on the show because I'm still trying to get them to send it to us. It sucks. They, 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 uh, they, I've never heard of it. Yeah. All right. So the Blob. Also, you know who 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 else had their career launched by the Blob? Uh, wrote this awesome title song. Uh, uh, you too. Burt Bacharach. It's fantastic. <laughs> blob drops. Get a couple falling of, in my head. <laughs> yeah. There you go. A couple of audio commentaries here. Uh, one with Jack Harris. Are you gonna uh, let me borrow this? You're not, are you? Oh hell no. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll see you next week. You can get it back. Yeah, maybe. Let me think about it. Uh. Um, uh, Bruce Ader is uh, on one of them with the producer Jack Harris and then the other one is uh, Irvin Yeaworth Jr. and Robert Fields who, the actor uh, Blobabilia is a gallery of uh, rare stills and a bunch of other stuff and uh, it's pretty great all, all in all this is a, a lot of fun great Blu-ray and now Mark we're going to talk about this 
Yes. 20th anniversary limited edition of Schindler's List. Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, and ultraviolet all on one big spanking beautiful set. I have a feeling that Universal was hedging their bets with this. Now, obviously, the people at Universal were hoping for a Les Mis victory at the Oscars. But shy of that, wouldn't be bad if Lincoln won. Then Spielberg, we piggyback on all of this, you know, sudden renewed interest in Spielberg, and we throw Schindler's List out there again on Blu-ray, Oscars and Lincoln, Oscars and Schindler's List, we're good to go. I'm sure that that was the reasoning in electing to release Schindler's List. Now, here's what I also find interesting. Uh, Liam Neeson, okay, star of Schindler's List, Oscar nominated for Schindler's List, didn't win. Um, What did he do at the Oscars? Do you remember? Do you remember his role at the Oscars? You mean... In the recent Oscars, no, oh, the, the, the recent most recently elapsed Oscars. Uh, I believe he attended bar. Yeah, exactly. I was kind of shocked because I thought it was in poor form, to be honest. Now, oh, he, he accepted he, it. He presented something. Didn't he present something? He presented the clip for Lincoln. Which he was supposed to star which in. Which he was supposed to star in. And I remember when he came out and introduced Lincoln, I just thought, really? You're doing that to the guy? Because Daniel Day-Lewis, in about 15, 20 minutes, is, is going to collect uh, his third Academy Award for Best Actor in, uh, in a role that Liam Neeson was supposed to play. I'm sure they knew that. They, they must have known it. And, and Liam Neeson certainly could have declined, but he's too classy of a guy to decline. But I just thought, people in the audience have to know this. It just... It, it feels kind of in poor form. It's like, hey, would you like to introduce the movie that uh, you, you missed out on? Well, if— And he, he declined it, I think. Didn't he feel like he was getting too old or something? But after still, a while, yeah. yeah. It just, it just, Plus, the, the, the movie was, was gestating for so many years that eventually you just move on. Just Plus, also, like, Liam Neeson's career has, is not that, that movie anymore. I know. Liam Neeson's career is now the gray and taken. Yeah. And he's become this bizarre middle-aged action star. I know, but it, just, it felt in bad where, I, where he's probably just working out the anger he feels towards the death of his wife <laughs> by yeah. beating up terrorists and uh, French people. Probably true. Anyway, I have to say, you know, I uh, I like Schindler's List. Um, I like it more now, I think, than I did in uh, in '93. Um, it was part of Spielberg's mid career. I don't know where to end a movie phase. Yeah, which, by the way, he also resurrects in Lincoln. Yes, which should have ended when Lincoln yes. walked down that hallway. And those are still my reservations in it. But I will say, I I have more respect for it now than I did then. And I do think it is certainly apart from the fact that he just ends it wrong. And he can't resist those redemptive, uh, overwrought, melodramatic finales that he can't sort of leave, you know, some of the thematics lingering. I mean, it really should end when Liam Neeson walks out in, you know, in the factory and tells him the war has ended. I mean, that's where it should end. You don't need to have him saying, I could have sold this tooth and saved another. You don't need all that. I you really that don't. That was terrible. That was just awful. You don't need that. You don't need that much emotion kind of wrung out of the, you know, it's like the last few drips. But anyway, that being said, this is a really terrific set. And um, it's funny how they say uh, meticulously restored in pristine high definition supervised by Steven Spielberg. Well, it's not restored. There's no restoration here. It's a digital transfer supervised by Spielberg. The, the film doesn't need restoration. It's not, it's not deteriorating. There's no vinegar syndrome setting into the, the elements of Schindler's List. Um, so it's a misuse of the word restoration, which they're using here purely for marketing reasons, and that's kind of shameless. But that being said, uh, Spielberg overseeing this, it is the best Blu-ray that Universal has ever released. And I say that without reservation. Universal is, has always been very uneven in their attention to Blu-rays. I think they kind of spit them out. They, they, you know, some of the hundredth, hundredth anniversary ones they've been doing. They've been doing like some those. of those are better, but this is far and away the best that they've, they've ever had. They really gave it all the attention that it demands. It is an, it is absolutely pristine audio, especially the John Williams music. It'll just bring you to tears. I think this is the best score John Williams ever wrote. Frankly, really? I do what? because it's so not John Williamsy. 
I mean, that Star violin, Wars. that violin is just, it just cuts right to your heart. It's like Perlman, man. It just cuts you wide open. It's so beautiful. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, anyway. Superman. Yes. Empire Strikes Back named the best score ever written. Uh, Voices from the List, the uh, documentary, uh, is outstanding. Um, and again, I also don't like the, the, the bookends on Schindler's List. I don't think it needs the, all the color stuff at the beginning and the end. I, don't I, didn't, I didn't think that uh, Saving Private that. Ryan needed that either. And then there's a uh, Shoah Foundation story, which is uh, all about the, the foundation that Spielberg basically started to preserve uh, memories of the, of the, uh, the Holocaust and, uh, and World War II, which I am all for as the son of a World War II uh, uh, refugee. You know, I, uh, I'm very, very much connected to all of this. And, um, you know, I remember my mother at the time, who has since passed away, but I remember her uh, really being, uh, not wanting to see Schindler's List because she didn't want to relive a lot of that stuff. And I know all the stories. And uh, indeed, I completely respect that. Uh, but for the rest of us, it is, uh, it is a wonderful film. And I almost would say, you know what would make a great double feature with Schindler's List? The Blob. Um, the White Ribbon. That's true. I very, would, very I, true. I would put the White Ribbon and Schindler's List together in a double feature. I really would. I think that that's a Blu-ray double feature to show your kids when they're obviously not, you know, so young that they'll be traumatized by all of it. Now, uh, Wade, before we go on, I'm, I'm staring at yes. an email right now. Yes. And we had mentioned Terrence Malick earlier in the uh, in the show. Yes. And I don't know why there was a time when this would excite the hell out of me. Yep. But right now, I'm not excited. Screening invite to the new Terrence Malick to the Wonder. Why don't I care? Uh, I'm actually going. I'm probably going to go Monday morning. Oh, there's a Monday morning one? Or there was a... Well, there's, there, there's Tuesday oh, no, at no, 10 a.m. No, 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 no. It was last week, Monday morning. Never mind. No, no, no. There's one, there's one coming this Tuesday at 10 a.m. All right. Well, then maybe that's Do you care? I'm... Yeah, I do. I heard this seems terrible. I'm afraid that Malik, Malik is so far up his butt right now. Screw he them. He needs to do a rush hour sequel. Screw them. <laughs> Screw them all. You are going to apologize for him no matter what he does, aren't you? I Absolutely. He's the man. <laughs> he's the, he's the Malikiest. He's the man. Uh, all right, before you get uh, lost in all that stuff, I want to mention a couple of titles here from the Cohen Film Collection. Uh, I'm kind of transitioning over because one of them is foreign language, but I want to make a point of this. You know, the, the, Cohen, the Cohen Film Collection people, the Cohen distribution people, who are fairly new on the scene, have been doing great work, not just in acquiring really cool foreign language titles, and they've got, you know, a very, very distinctive uh, DVD box. They've got this clear packaging for their, for their DVDs and their Blu-rays, and they're doing really good work, and they're kind of nuzzling in there along with Criterion and Kino to really represent a, a, an art film brand where you feel like, i got to own everything that they release. And uh, they have released Louise Bunuel's Tristana, which was also in uh, theatrical release very briefly, uh, not too long ago, kind of a, a you know, classic film re-release. This is from 1970, and it's a great film. Uh, Catherine Deneuve is just luminous in this movie. Uh, Franco Nero and Fernando Rey also uh, unbelievably memorable. And uh, the story is rather fairly simple. It's, uh, you know, kind of... Kind of falls in with uh, Jane Eyre and Rebecca and that kind of literature about uh, women who are sort of caught in um, in unfortunate situations in patriarchal society. And uh, Catherine Deneuve is a woman who um, loses her mother and then goes to live with a guardian who um, turns out to be not such a great guy. Anyway, the... Uh, the way this transpires is is great drama, it's great intrigue, and it's beautifully photographed and really one of the most interesting films that Luis Buñuel ever did. One of the most straightforward films that he ever ever did, actually. It's not uh, in that uh, very bizarre, 
avant-gardist experimental style that uh, he was typically associated with. This is pretty straightforward, but really, really good, really wonderfully done, a terrific Blu-ray. And the thing that really impresses about the people at Cohen is that they, in addition to all of this, have gone and they acquired the Rohauer Collection, which I mentioned on the Facebook, a while, a Facebook page a while ago. And anyone that doesn't know, the Rohauer Collection is one of the most legendary classic film collections of all time, primarily for silent films. It's got all the Keaton films in it. I mean, suddenly Kino is going to have some competition for a lot of the stuff that they have been the exclusive distributors of, primarily the Keaton films and a lot of others. Now you're going to see Cohen doing new versions of all of those films that may very well rival them. So everybody's going to be double-dipping on a lot of classics, a lot of silent film classics. And the first one that they have released is a Dazzler. Douglas Fairbanks and the Thief of Baghdad, the Raoul Walsh uh, special effects classic that is still one of the most mesmerizing films of its type uh, ever made. 1924, the special effects totally hold up. Uh, You look at this and you just go, really, in 1924, you were pulling that off. You guys are amazing. You realize what Hollywood was able to do when they didn't have computers, when ingenuity took over, and when you had an actor like Douglas Fairbanks, who frankly is just one of the most astonishing screen stars of all time. Like, you can tell Jackie Chan admires him just as much as he does Buster Keaton. The stuff Douglas Fairbanks does is breathtaking. The movie, from a narrative standpoint, not that dazzling, but it doesn't matter. As an, as an effects showcase, as a, kind of a, uh, an early demonstration of what Hollywood could do with all of the magical wonders at its disposal, it's just fantastic. And Raoul Walsh never really uh, captured that kind of form in sound films either. So um, this is pretty great, pretty great. Blu-ray of The Thief of Baghdad is gorgeous, and it raises my hopes to high, 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 high levels for what the rest of the Rohar collection is going to look like. First rate. Way to go, Cohen. They're awesome. Wow. Wait. You really like them. Love them. I think they're great. I'm so glad they're there. Because usually it's like, oh, what do we have this week? Criterion, awesome. Kino, awesome. What's the rest? Unless you're lying. No. And you don't love it. No. And you just say you do. We just get so much crap. I know how you are. You know what it's like. We get junk in. You look at it and you go, really? Oh, come on. Another vampire movie? Really? Oh, I'm sorry. They're gay vampires. Well, that's novel. That's novel. That's... Horrible. Gosh. All right, well, you know, in uh, in nineteen, uh, if you remember, and if I have my dates right, yeah. in 1988, Disney released uh, Oliver and Company, mm-hmm. and in 1986, they released The Great Mouse Detective, I believe. Yep. But in 1989, it all changed. The Little Mermaid. Damn right. And then came a Renaissance Wade. Oh yeah. A Renaissance of uh, Disney animation. Aladdin. Beauty and the Beast. And, and Aladdin. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah. Lion King. Yep. Sort of the tail end of that, if you ask me. You know, I love this movie. Is the pretty good Hunchback of Notre Dame. I love this movie. It's I really, really do. not bad. It's terrific. I, you know, it's got Stephen Sondheim lyrics. It's it's not a, it's it's not as magical as it's, the early ones. So look, I feel like it's sort of the tail end of that Renaissance, but it's still pretty good. Good voice casting by Demi Moore here too, by the way. That's right. Here's let me tell you really quickly before you delve into the rest of it. Here's what I really love about the Hunchback of Notre Dame and and uh, that that other movie that's on that thing that that second uh, ringer that they threw on there. Forget about it. I don't I don't get the point. No, no, on, on the Hunchback of Notre Dame one. Yeah, that there's a there's a second film on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a Hunchback of Notre Dame too. Yeah, I, I ignore that. Um, the, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, the, here's what I love about Hunchback of Notre Dame. First of all, I think the Alan Menken music is yes. much more sophisticated than any of his other films. It's well, operatic. I love the it's I love the big. lyrics. The lyrics are great, but it's I don't big know that there's a sh- uh, Yes, I don't know if there's a show-stopping song 
in this like there are in some of the other ones. There's the one that that Jason Alexander sings, a guy like uh, what's it, what's a guy like me. It's very it's very Broadway. It's very Broadway. Yes. Uh, that's a that's a fun song. But here's what I love about this: that the 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 bad guy in this one, as opposed to bad guys in all the other animated Disney films, they're always out for you know money and power and domination and so forth. The bad guy here, he lusts. It's all about lust. His his evil is not that he covets something, but the, or, or not he doesn't covet anything in a material sense, in an earthly sense. He covets, you know, in a he's guilty. He's got uh, you know it's sin. It's like sort of conventional, traditional Judeo-Christian sin that is his uh, failing. And I find that to be sort of existentially deep for an animated film. So I I, I really like the film a lot. Well, some of the themes here are much darker than uh, what yeah. you usually see in mm-hmm. Disney Fair. So. Um, Again, uh, Wade likes it a lot. To me, not as magical as Beauty and the Beast and some of the other ones during the Disney Renaissance, but still terrific. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Wade. Not Hunchback of Notre Dame, you and your Frenchiness. Jesus Christ. I am so surprised that nobody ever did a sketch on any of these shows, not on like, you know, Mad TV or SNL. Nobody ever did The Hunchback of Notre Dame de Louise. Why didn't anyone ever do that? It just it writes itself, doesn't the, it? The Hunchback of Notre James Coco. <laughs> you know you you know you miss James Coco. I do miss James Coco. How many people Coco? know who James Coco is? Oh, Terrible. I'm just... Anyway, this is uh, this is uh, by the way, this does look great though. This is sort of pre-CGI. Hunchback of Notre Dame, pre-super yep. CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still looks great. So anyway, it's good. It's good stuff. You know what? I guarantee this is probably a Disney film that has slipped through your slipped through the cracks of it's your worth, collection. It, it, worth revisiting because it's way. not a Pixar film, and it's worth it, revisiting. It, it's not right there in that Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast uh, wheelhouse, but it's still quite good. Also, quite good is another film that was kind of came at the tail end of the Disney Renaissance, uh, Mulan. And uh, this comes not in, such a fan actually. Really, don't like no, this movie? not such a fan. Well, uh, this comes in a two Blu-ray. Collection. Well, it's a Blu-ray and two DVDs, but there's Mulan and Mulan Two. Yeah, again, forget about that. By the way, I, I'm not making it. It's not Mulan Two, Electric Boogaloo, but there really <laughs> is a Mulan Two. That's too funny. Just putting it out there. But what's funny is that you know this movie almost sort of um, mm. it, it's a bit prescient because it deals in Chinese culture, and of course, the Chinese uh, movie-going uh, audience has become very, very important, as we mentioned earlier, uh, to American uh, pr- uh, movie companies. So. I wouldn't be surprised if this was very popular in China, because it deals with China's past and it's, yes. it, it, it deals with its themes of family and you know it's about this poor peasant girl who disguises herself as a man to take her. You oh, know, it's her yentl, father. huh? It's like a Chinese yentl. <laughs> exactly. Okay, it's very. Good. I get it. Anyway, uh, it's it's good stuff. Again, this uh, predates Super CGI, but it's still a great transfer. Mm-hmm. And the music here, you know, again, I wasn't. A, Donny a, Osmond does the uh, the male voice singing. Uh, not the not the speaking part, but the singing part. Yeah, for when, what that's worth. When you get Donny Osmond singing, you know you're sort of starting to uh, <laughs> reach. The Although Eddie Murphy's in this, you know, yeah. this is Eddie Murphy's first yeah, like know. big animated uh, film character. He, of course, would go on to do the big uh, Shrek donkey thing. Yeah. Here, uh, he does Mulan first. Anyway, good stuff, not great stuff. Mulan and Mulan Two, which is not worth it. You know, uh, Late Quartet is a film that was super briefly released in theaters last year. I don't think this ever really got an honest shot. Uh, I think when when it didn't win any critics awards and didn't really seem to have a shot at Oscar nominations, they just kind of gave up on it, which I think is a mistake because it's a good cast. I mean, Christopher Walken and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Catherine Keener. Uh, I think it's a really, really good cast and an interesting little drama. Not genius by any means, but uh, an interesting little film basically about a... um, uh, the machinations inside of a, a, a longtime veteran string quartet, 
and um, the uh, the sort of the, the the tensions and the relationships that uh, transpire therein, especially when one of them appears to uh, have issues that might force retirement. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but otherwise, great performances. Christopher Walken is always so good in drama. You forget how good he can be when he's not riffing on himself. Seriously, when he's not sort of playing the character that has become a parody, you know, when he's not doing an impression of himself doing Kevin Spacey doing himself, I think he's this, great. I think at this point he's, 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 he's so much older, he's done it all, and I think he's just going to do the easiest thing he can do. And you know, Hoffman, he's always good. He's just fantastic. He's really fantastic. And Catherine Keener, when she's not doing a parody of herself, which she increasingly has begun Well, Catherine to do. Keener, who was so terrific in the, ni- you know, in the early 2000s, oh, you know, uh, she's so kind of disappeared a little bit. Yeah, you know, she painted the Kramer. You know that on Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. She, she did not. No, you know that. She was the character in, in, on Seinfeld who painted the How the many Seinfelds of, have I watched in my life? None. Exactly. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so anyway, not to be confused with the film that's out right now that Dustin Hoffman directed called Quartet, which is kind of sort of similar in some very superficial respects about it. You know, a singing quartet that uh, they're all old and they're at a rest home. And, you know, that's a whole different deal. But Wait, late, I'm going to make you feel old right now. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. Make me feel old. Um, and uh, by the way, I, I did this the other day on on um, on email when I when I said that um, um, who was it who was oh uh, Danny DeVito is sixty eight years old. <laughs> you t- you sent me that. And I was like yeah, thanks for that. That's... Dustin Hoffman, seventy five years old. I know. Dustin, Stop. And Dustin Hoffman, by the way, is I think that Dustin Hoffman, who's won like you know three Oscars or something. Yeah. I think he's even underappreciated. Yeah, that's true. He is the best. Yeah, he is. He is totally awesome. I mean, the only reason why I watched Sphere was to finally see (laughs) Dustin Hoffman in a science fiction film. I just, I just had to. And he's great. He's Dustin Hoffman. I I know. I love him. I know. He's good. You know what? All these actors we grew up on, like Richard Dreyfuss, Dustin Mm -hmm. Hoffman, they're all getting older now. I know. You know, and there's no one to replace them. Who replaces these characters? I mean, you know, there's Philip Seymour Hoffman. There are some good people out there. There are Joaquin Phoenix, you know, both from The Master. But still, look, here's the thing. We grew up on these people, so they mean a lot to us. Mm-hmm. You know, There was a time when we were 10 years old when our parents loved whoever. And we were like, man, they're just an old dude. No one cares about them. But that's who our parents grew up watching. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the actors we grew up watching. Dustin Hoffman. Who, who, who else? Uh, uh, you know, uh, all these cool guys like Steve McQueen or Dustin Hoffman or Roy Scheider or Robert Shaw or Sean Connery. And you're so like, they're, good. They're, they're just old dudes. Well, we grew up on them. I know. And we love them. The Roy Scheider, the Seven Ups, you know, well, connection. Well, the thing with the Seven so Ups, good. look, the Seven Ups was 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 made by the same producer specifically for so, Roy Scheider, for Roy Scheider, yeah. and specifically because he wanted to outdo the car chase. Yes. from the French Connection. Let's put it this way: it was not just to outdo the car chase. He specifically wanted to give people the fantasy of seeing a car go underneath a semi-trailer and have the top ripped off. That's, that's, the, that's exclusively what that was all about. Which, by the way, they, they do that now all the time on CGI. So, I know. It, you know, with more CGI sparks and, and stuff flying off the car, so it doesn't mean as much. But in the 7-Ups, a car went under a truck. I know. And ripped its top off. It's so awesome. No CGI. And no second take, by the and way. no second take. That's it. That's it. Awesome. You know, uh, Richard Mazur, who has been uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild uh, fairly recently, he, uh, he acted in some movies once upon a time. And one of those movies was produced by Mike Nesmith of The, uh, the, the Monkees. And um, again, it was directed by William Deere, who directed Harry and the Hendersons. I say this just to make everybody go, what? What movie would that be? 
That movie would be the cult classic from 1982. A classic year, by the way, 1982. What happened? 1982. Oh, the... The, 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 the nerd the, year. The, uh, the nerd year. Hang on, hang on. Hit me. E.T. Yeah. Blade Runner. Yes. Tron. Yes. And the one that personally activated yes. my love mm-hmm. of everything science fiction, mm-hmm. Star Trek Two, And that's also the year, by the way, of Tootsie and Gandhi, I just want to point out. And, yes. das, and das Boot. Yes. And The Verdict. Das Boot, by the way, yes. is German yeah. for The Boat. That's right. That was a great <laughs> freaking year. 82 was an unbelievable year. But you know what else was released in 1982? Uh, what? Time Rider. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that movie for the poster, which, by the way, is, is maintained for the cover of the, uh, yes, the Blu-ray. Yes, it's a classic poster. It's just the most bizarre time travel movie ever about a guy on a, uh, you know, an off-road motorcycle dirt biker guy um, who... <laughs> who time travels himself back into the into the West? Uh, it's so bizarre. It's like it's sort of like you wonder if this didn't inspire the uh, the last Back to the Future film or the the second Back to the Future film, the middle one in the trilogy where they go to the Wild West. You wonder if like did, did you see Time Rider and decide you're just going to try to improve on it? It's such a bizarre movie. It's such a strange film, uh, and Richard Mazur's in it along with Peter Coyote, and it's you know it, it's just really odd. Uh, Mike Nesmith did the score, and um, it also, by the way, sits down for an interview here. William Deere does a commentary, and it's you know what the film kind of sort of holds up. It is it is a total cult classic. The people who love this movie they love the hell out of it. The Blu-ray is as good as I think you're going to get. It was not the best shot film in the first place. Uh, shot Factory has done a, a decent job, and they licensed this from MGM, by the way, to, to get it out there. They did the, the olive film Twilight Time thing. Um, but here's the thing. I have friends who are diehard fans of Time Rider who swear that the way this movie ends on the Blu-ray and the way it ended on the DVD is not the original theatrical ending. So uh, I have not been able to confirm that. I have tried. Uh, and I've not been able to confirm it. So uh, if there are any diehard Time Rider fans out there, go- email us at gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. Email us and tell us what your recollections are of how the film ends and what, uh, what, what the story is here, because I've not been able to get the straight dope on this. So anyway, that being said, Mark is, 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 is apparently trying to rub all of his fluids all over a Blu-ray that I'm not going to let him have. What? No way, dude. You don't understand. I live for that movie. This movie is so effing you've taken, good. You've taken it out of order, but fine, go ahead. Talk about <laughs> I don't it. Care. Actually, this has been out for a couple of weeks, but we finally got it. Yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's been out for a few weeks. Uh, the Insider from Michael oh, Mann is... the uh, best film Michael Mann ever made. So effing good, this Best movie. performance that Russell Crowe ever gave. And early Russell Crowe. Uh, yeah. you know, Russell Crowe wasn't quite Russell Crowe yet. This is, this is what put him on the map. Oh, yeah. It really put him on the map as a real actor. And what's funny, because like for this role, he had to gain a bunch of weight. He yeah. wasn't like you know gladiator, Russell Crowe, right. super handsome, whatever. I mean, now he's like kind of middle-aged paunchy, because now it's 2013. Yeah, now, now he thinks he can sing. And now he thinks and he he's showing sing. up in like in like movie martial arts movies by the RZA, and he's playing Noah. And I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's thinking either. You know what? He's probably he's probably trying to resurrect his career by taking like the yeah. biggest, most bombastic leading parts he can to yeah, show that he still got go. it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, The Insider is uh, was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director. It is the uh, true story of a tobacco executive named Jeffrey uh, Wigand who became a whistleblower. Oh, it's such a good movie. And it plays Al Pacino as uh, Lowell Bergman, who was the uh, 
the and Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace. <laughs> Give it even, up. Even though it seems like oh, it's Christopher Plummer doing a Mike Wallace impersonation. <laughs> he's, but he's so, so good he's because so good. he's because he captures that essence of Mike Wallace. That essence of I'm I'm going to be snarky and I'm going to be mean and you're going to like me for it because I'm not going to let you go. He, he, Mike Wallace is the guy that would get you in a headlock and 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 make you like love it. You remember that scene in the movie where uh, I think it was Bruce McCall when it, it, it's the courtroom scene where Bruce McCall mm-hmm. uh, goes absolutely ballistic yes. in trying to get somebody to answer his questions. Yeah, that's uh, great. It, it, that that one that that gets an applause. I remember that got an applause when I saw the film. Yeah, projected, but uh, I think it was Bruce McCall. I should check on that. Um, great. Anyway, we Wade and I collectively uh, cannot recommend The Insider enough. Nope. This is a classic. It is Michael Mann's best film, like Wade says, and it is a film that is unbelievably well-crafted from beginning to end. It is one of Al Pacino's last decent performances. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, although, you know, you know what's funny is that uh, uh, Al Pacino is playing um, Phil Spector in an HBO film. Yeah. Now, that's a movie where at least Pacino has a reason to perform as Al Pacino. Yes. Because Phil Spector was so out there. Yes. Otherwise, that's all he does now. So at least maybe he's finding roles that are that where he can justifiably take that approach. The I'm just imagining Al Pacino wearing that wig. I just I the No, thought, it's it's there. I mean you can see I this know, video. the thought of it the thought of it is just it's making me just giggle. Anyway, I just absolutely positively think this is a masterpiece, uh, the insider and you have to watch it or we, you cannot listen to this podcast oh, anymore. Freaking awesome. Freaking awesome. Um, also, along the same lines, uh, and these are all films from the, the the Disney library that they're sort of not, you know, they're, they're like touchstone films and they're uh, Hollywood Pictures films, and they're not giving them the really A treatment because, well, you know, I've ripped on Robert Iger on this show before, and this is one of the reasons. I think Iger has created a culture at Disney where they don't really care about films that aren't part of the Disney brand. So they're looking at their library, and I think they are, they're sort of saying, eh, that's not really a Disney film. People don't really identify that with Disney. We're not going to get a lot of traction out of it. And so they're underserving these films. Um, you know, I have an annual rating system that I use when I see movies. I saw 180 films last year. I don't know how many you saw. What was, what was your, um, I your stopped, 2012? I, like? I stopped counting yeah. because I hate movies so much because yeah. they're all so bad. <laughs> That all I do is I write down the ones I like and grade them, and the ones I don't like, I don't even grade them. Well, I, I have to keep track so that I can put my lists together at the end of the year. So I saw more last year than I have in quite some time. I've been hovering around 140, 150 for a number of years. I saw 108, over 180 last year. It's a lot of damn movies. That's about a movie every other, other, other day. And, that's, and I'm not talking about the stuff on DVD. I'm talking about theatrically released films. If you add the DVDs to them, then that's a whole different nightmare. So it, theatrically released movies, I saw 180 that were actually 2012 titles. In all the years that I've been doing this, over 20 years now, um, I have given a 100 rating to movies, like a perfect score. I think I've given that out maybe four or five times. That's my boy, Adam Sandler? Exactly. That's one of them. No. Like Remains of the Day, I gave 100 to. Uh, the Piano, I gave 100. Uh, Farewell, My Concubine, I gave 100. One of the movies that I gave 100 to, which, by the way, was also the same year as uh, Remains of the Day, is this movie. That the Disney people just decided to uh, here throw it out on Blu-ray. See, eh, whatever. Um, and I wish they had done a better job. I really do. It's not. It's not the best Blu-ray transfer. It deserves more. And this movie is the Joy Luck Club. By the way, you know the, the, the this great, is an amazing the, film. It is a perfect film. It is a brilliant film. Even though the hilarious part of the Joy Luck Club yeah. is that it says this at the top. 
An Oliver Stone production, <laughs> yes. Well, and that's basically there's – there's a story behind that too because uh, Janet Yang ran Oliver Stone's company. And Janet Yang, who at one point was uh, was a, a she, wasn't she co chair at Sony briefly? Because she was partner. Well, she was partners know. with Lisa Henson at one point, who I know ran things over at Sony. Anyway, Lisa Henson, of course, being Jim she Henson's daughter. But uh, it, this was Janet Yang who championed this because you know it's, she's very passionate about Chinese American stories. Uh, Amy Tan wrote the novel, and uh, Ronald Bass, who of course uh, did the Rain uh, wrote Rain Man, uh, did the adaptation uh, with Amy Tan. Wayne Wang directed it. And it is a freaking brilliant movie. Um, it's an unbelievable film. And you would think that they could never ad- adapt this story, this novel, to a movie because it's, it's essentially about a group of, of women, Chinese-American women, mothers and daughters. You know, the, story, the mothers are all immigrants and all have these stories uh, you know, about things that happen to them and to their mothers and their grandmothers. And they're trying to pass these lessons on to their daughters who are having their own struggles in contemporary times. And it weaves all of these stories together in the past and the present, the mothers and the daughters, the grandmothers, you know, within China and America. America, and it brings it all together in a finale. I so help me if you if you watch this movie and the last the last scene of this movie does not make you just absolutely start crying buckets. You're not a human being. This has one of the most powerful emotional endings of every any movie I have ever seen. It is staggering how touching it is. Um, a lot of people felt like it was too sentimental, and, and I, I think they're insane. The movie is also rated R for absolutely no good reason. Uh, to, for me to discuss why it's rated R, I'd have to give you a spoiler. I frankly have always said the rating system has a racist component to it, where if Asian people are seen doing something that uh, it would be acceptable for any other race, but because Asians are just so benign, they're, n- they're not supposed to be mean, they're not supposed to do cruel things or fight or whatever, then we're much more harsh on movies that have Asians doing certain things than we are uh, if other races are doing them. I think that affected this movie as well. Should have been rated PG. Shouldn't, there's no reason this is rated R. And uh, it's a disgrace that it's rated R. And the, uh, the uh, ratings people should be ashamed of themselves. So a great movie on Blu-ray, not as well served as it should be. Should be a better transfer, but get it anyway because it's so incredibly brilliant. So wait, did you like it? I love it. I love this movie. I love the Joy Luck Club. It's so wonderful. What should we talk about next? Uh, talk about that damn thing, because... Uh, I don't like talking about this movie. You know why? Why? Because it requires that I talk about um, Olivia Wilde. You know what? Speaking of Olivia Wilde, she's, she's in that new... Uh, what, what's it? The, 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 the Magician thing with Steve Carell and Yes, the Carey. Amazing Burt Wonderstone. Uh, yeah, yeah, which, which, what is Abratastic? That's their tagline? Abratastic? Yeah. Really? It's awesome. Like, like even, if, even if you're just some kind of 13-year-old game-playing douchebag who's like, yeah, Jim Carrey, he's that guy from The Office. You look at that and you go, oh my gosh, it's Abratastic? Well, now I have to see it. What does Abratastic mean? Who came up with that? Well, if you don't Fire know... Fire that person. If you don't know... What does, the movie looks terrible. I'm not going to tell you. Olivia Wilde is in that movie. By the way, I saw Olivia Wilde in person. Yeah, how is she? Well, okay. Delicious? Like, like, like when I saw her in Tron. Delicious? Uh, she's more delicious on screen than he is in person. Okay. Is in, okay, in person, I mean, she's magnificently sure. beautiful. What I'm saying is that like when I saw her in Tron, yeah. it was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, my, I'm obsessed. This woman is my new everything. There you go. And then I saw her in person and she was like unbelievably pretty. Mm-hmm. So she went from, oh my God, she's, she's proof there's a God, to she's unbelievably pretty. Yeah. So it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a downgrade in, in seeing her in person, but you know, the, uh, the, 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 the top end was so high that really even the bottom end is still pretty impressive. And there you go. Anyway. Uh, 
In Deadfall, she and uh, Eric Bana play a uh, brother and sister who have just uh, knocked over a casino, and their uh, their getaway goes awry. Good supporting cast in this thing: Chris Christopherson and Sissy Spacek. Um, you know, it's definitely a genre piece. Uh, I would consider it an above average, above average, an above average uh, genre piece. I think that thematically, it could have done a little bit more, uh, been a little bit more interesting regarding just families and brothers and sisters and how families fit together and break apart. Um, so, I will give it props for not being as uh, mailed in as it probably would have been under uh, other auspices, directed by a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, Steven Ruzowitzki. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what he's done. That's the whole thing. Before, he's done nothing since. But, um, you know, it's not bad. It's somewhere between, like, Simple Plan and, you know, certain episodes of The Sopranos, I guess. And it's got, like, kind of a classic, like, Western showdown at the end. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, it's not bad stuff. Deadfall, a decent genre piece. If you see it streaming on Netflix or whatever, you can give it a shout. It's not so bad. Deadfall. All right. Uh, you know, Mark, this, this Bible thing is still going on, the uh, Roma Downey-Mark Burnett deal. Did we talked about last week? We, we talked about that last week. Yeah, we talked about it. But, but it's still going on. It's, it's, it's like t- ten weeks or whatever. You know, it's like it goes on endlessly. It's ten hours. Just like the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they're still releasing DVDs and Blu-rays to uh, try and capitalize on that. One of them is One Night with the King, which is now on Blu-ray. My gosh, this is a silly movie. This is the biblical story of Esther with a whole bunch of people who really should know better uh, showing up in this movie, uh, including, like... Freaking Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole, and you just go, really seriously, guys? You're you're gonna tarnish my memory of Lawrence of Arabia with that? Uh, and then you know, you like like Tiny Lister. When, when, if somebody said to you, yeah, I saw this movie with Tiny Lister and Peter O'Toole, you're gonna go, really? What? Anyway, not a terribly good movie. Uh, most of these Bible movies just play it way too straight. They don't understand they're trying to, they're, they're telling a story, and the, the the Bible stories don't work as drama very well. But anyway. Um, uh, that's on Blu-ray for people who just really have a, a, a big gnarly Jones to check it out. Uh, Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif get really prominent billing, even though they shouldn't get it. And then uh, the, the other one is Cecil B. DeMille's Samson and Delilah, which has never been on DVD before, believe it or not. And uh, this is such a silly movie, but somehow back in the 1940s, this is from 1949, uh, Cecil B. DeMille made these things work. He just he took these biblical stories and he loaded them up with just sex and violence, and somehow the 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 fact that they were Bible stories, everyone felt like it was it made it okay to watch it. Uh, Victor Mature is a terrible actor. I'm going to say that without any reservation. Victor Mature is a terrible actor, and Hedy Lamarr. Uh, not Headley Lamar, not to be confused. Not to be confused. It's Headley. <laughs> uh, you know, I, what? Who thought that these people would have chemistry? But I guess, I guess, audiences at the time did because this is uh, basically one of those Bible films that did well enough to set Demille up to do the Ten Commandments. Um, just uh, about you know seven years later. So uh, that being said, I, I don't think it's a very good movie, but it's and it's not a Blu-ray. It's a DVD from Paramount. And they're obviously hedging their bets and seeing if people buy this and if that justifies uh, licensing the Blu-ray to Olive Films at some point, which is probably what would happen. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can check it out if you're just like a film, hist- a film history buff or something. Uh, maybe, that'll, uh, maybe that'll just feature. Float your boat? I guess it'll float your boat. And then uh, lastly, 
Uh, we have very little time left. Uh, you know what? Lastly, I'm going to make flailing, this. Wade. You don't know what to talk about next. we got a whole bunch of things we didn't get to. We're going to have to get to it next week. But lastly, uh, let me make mention of the oscilloscope release of 28 Hotel Rooms, uh, a movie that I don't particularly care for, but I like the people in it. Uh, Marin Ireland and Chris Messina. This is uh, one of those movies that's just kind of an actor's conceit. It's about an affair between two people that takes place over a series of hotel rooms over a certain period of time. And it's how the relationship changes as they meet in these in a number of hotel rooms. Literally, 28 hotel rooms. That's how they made the movie. That's how they made it inexpensively. They shot the movie in 28 hotel rooms. Um, the reason to watch it is, is not because it's particularly unique uh, or particularly good, because it's not. Uh, it, it doesn't really work as a story. Uh, it feels very contrived. But that, at the same time, the actors are really, really good. And... Uh, Chris Messina, I like a lot. He, the, the guy does not get enough uh, praise. He really doesn't. Chris Messina usually shows up as like the buddy or the brother. He's been in a ton of movies lately, uh, most notably from my standpoint for uh, Ruby Sparks. I thought he was terrific in Ruby Sparks. You love that movie. I love that movie. It's one of the most underrated movies of 2012. Uh, but but that being said, you know what? Uh, Messina is a really, really good actor, and I love the fact that he sort of... And he was instrumental in getting this film made. So I love the fact that he, he here really does flex his chops as an actor, and he's very, very good. So for all its shortcomings, enjoy what the actors do. Uh, Oscilloscope gave this a very limited release, so you probably didn't see it. It's worth checking out on DVD. Probably more as a rental than anything else. With that, Mark, I think we're done. What? So uh, go ahead, send us your Vox boxes and your new show openings and your emails to gods at digigods.com. We're here at gods at digigods.com. We'll see you guys next week.
And that does it. So, uh, meanwhile, it, please send us emails, vox boxes, and suggested uh, suggestions for new openings to uh, gods at digigods.com. And include with those openings any plugs that you want us to do for your websites and your your books and your movies and everything else. We are happy to do it. And uh, with that, we will see you next week. <laughs>